This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The Inflation Reduction Act was just signed into law, and it includes unprecedented investment into measures intended to reduce climate change and set the nation on track to significantly reduce climate warming emissions. It sends millions of dollars to tribal clean energy projects, relief for tribal communities affected by drought, and funds for connecting tribal homes to electricity. But the legislation keeps in place existing polluter giants. More on the Inflation Reduction Act after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Native advocates are defending the Indian Child Welfare Act, or ICWA, intended to keep Native children with Native families, as the U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear challenges to the decades-old law this fall. Eric Galata spoke to an advocate in Nebraska who says ICWA is still needed today. The ACLU of Nebraska has joined a national brief filed in a case before the U.S. Supreme Court challenging a 1978 law passed by Congress aiming to stop harmful assimilation practices separating Native American children from their families and tribes. Misty Flowers with the Nebraska Indian Child Welfare Coalition says the Indian Child Welfare Act is still very much needed, in part to help kids maintain their cultural identities. We see a lot of times that those that don't have a strong cultural identity have higher rates of substance abuse, mental health issues, suicide rates, and, you know, it's kind of all connected with those assimilation policies and historical trauma. The ACLU is urging the high court to uphold the constitutionality of the act, which requires state courts to help keep Native families together. Before its passage, some 35 percent of Native children were being removed from their homes from intact families, with 85 percent placed in non-Native homes. A U.S. appeals court invalid portions of the act in a Texas adoption case for imposing duties on states. The brief also calls on the Supreme Court to uphold the centuries-long legal precedent of tribal sovereignty, including tribes' right to preserve their unique cultural identities, raise their own children, and govern themselves. The Indian Child Welfare Act also establishes preferences for placing adopted Native children in Native homes. Flowers, quoting her social worker mother, says Native children will always find their way home. It's like any human need to have that connection with your family and your tribe, especially, you know, when you look different than other people that are around you. That was Eric Galatis reporting. Yellowstone National Park is hosting a range of indigenous events this week for its 150th anniversary. Wyoming Public Radio's Taylor Stagner has more on the historic collaboration between tribal nations and the park. Yellowstone Revealed was planned for and by indigenous people. The week will include guided tours of indigenously significant areas in the park, as well as art and live musical performances. Francesca Pine Rodriguez is with Mountain Time Art in Bozeman, Montana. She says the 150th anniversary is a celebration, but the indigenous nations of the land have another relationship with the park's birthday. It's a reminder of being removed from an area that we traditionally inhabited. That is something that we are not celebrating. Um, But when we think about everything that our people have been through, it's just a miracle 
that we are still here. Pine Rodriguez hopes to continue the relationship with the park in furthering the discussion on indigenous input in management and conservation. Yellowstone National Park says there are 27 indigenous tribes who have historical and contemporary ties to the land. The first teepee village in the park in 150 years is part of the festivities. For National Native News, I'm Taylor Stagner. Three Michigan tribes have donated proceeds from a missing and murdered Indigenous Peoples March to two domestic violence relief shelters. This year, the Michigan Potawatomi tribes joined together to honor missing and murdered Native women and girls during an event in Grand Rapids. They recently donated 100% of funds raised from selling masks and T-shirts from the event to tribal domestic violence shelters in the area. It's part of efforts to help address violence in tribal communities. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The Inflation Reduction Act, recently signed by President Joe Biden, is making huge investments towards fighting climate change. The massive bill aims to reduce carbon emissions and invest in renewable energy technology. One component of the bill includes $720 million towards Native communities. Senator Brian Schatz, the chairman of the Senate Committee on Indian Affairs, says the legislation supports Native-driven climate resilience and advancing tribal energy development. He also says it fulfills the federal government's trust responsibility. The bill contains over $235 million for tribal climate resilience, including fish hatchery operations, $225 million towards high-efficiency electric home rebates, $150 million toward tribal home electrification, and $12.5 million for tribal emergency drought relief, among other things. We'll talk with those that have been following the bill in great depth, but we also want to hear from our listeners today. What are your thoughts on the climate provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act? Are they enough to address the growing threat of climate change? Is $720 million enough money to support native-driven climate solutions? Call in to join our conversation. That's 1-800-996-2848. You can also post a comment on our social media pages. Our handle, one 800 native on the line now in Tucson, Arizona, is Pilar Thomas. She's a partner in the Quarles and Brady Law Firm's Energy, Environment, and Natural Resources Practice Group. And she's a law professor at Arizona State University. She's Pasqua Yaki. Pilar, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Pilar, please help us out here with some specifics. How does the Inflation Reduction Act address climate needs in Indian country? 
Well, let's see. Where do we start? I would say there's three sets of major provisions that tribes should be aware of in the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the first are the ones you've just uh, referenced, uh, the tribal-specific provisions that have been highlighted by Senator Schatz and the Senate uh, Committee on Indian Affairs. Uh, money specifically devoted to electrification of uh, unelectrified tribal homes, climate resiliency grants uh, that are currently run through the Department of the Interior, um, in addition to an increase in the loan guarantee program at the Department of Energy, Tribal Energy Loan Guarantee Program, uh, wildfire, uh, and other drought. Uh, resistant uh, that was supported by Senator Sinema uh, from out here in Arizona. So we have some of those specific programs, but there are two other major programs that I would want the uh, tribal governments and tribal communities to pay attention to. Um, on the environmental side, there is a $27 billion, what's kind of referred to as the Green Bank, um, $27 billion in funding to support climate resiliency, clean energy technology deployment intended to be matched uh, by private funds. I think those funds are supposed to go to the EPA um, and will flow out into lending institutions uh, that will then in turn partner with private money to deploy clean energy technology. So. Uh, tribal lending institutions, especially native CDFIs, uh, might be interested in that fund, tribes themselves, either as investors or as borrowers to access that money. EPA also will have energy just, I'm sorry, environmental justice uh, and climate justice grants. That I think is a $9 billion project uh, program that uh, will be used and can be used to uh, mitigate the effects of environmental justice and climate justice issues, uh, and tribes will be eligible for applying for that. That's a competitive grant program. Uh, and and a, a USDA itself will get some additional funding that tribes are eligible for through the Rural Energy for America program. That's typically about a $100 million program. They just got approved for $2 billion. So, um, so some standard programs that are going to get some additional funding as well. So that's kind of another big pot of money. And the third big pot of money, though, which I'm especially excited about, is in the tax credit side. So Congress now has the bill and uh, expands the available tax credits, investment tax credits, production tax credits, to a whole host of new clean energy technologies, um, including clean hydrogen, including electric vehicle charging stations, um, including electric vehicles themselves. Um, and typically tribes would not be uh, concerned with that because we're non-taxable. We don't pay taxes. So we tax credits to us have been really irrelevant uh, because we, we can't take advantage of them. But now what the bill does is it allows tribal governments to actually apply to Treasury through uh, the tax scheme, through a tax uh, document, and allow the tribes what's called direct pay. Um, it's not just tribal governments, it's other governments as well and other tax-exempt organizations. And what will happen is Treasury will, in effect, pay tribal governments directly for the same amount of the tax credit. These tax credits have been increased from what's now 26%, could be as high as 50 or 60% of 
based on bonus credits. So as an example, if a tribe has a $10 million project, they want to do, let's say, a 5-megawatt solar project microgrid for tribal housing as a way to offset their costs, they now can get a tax credit of anywhere from 30 to maybe even as high as 70%. And the direct pay means the treasury will directly pay the tribe the amount of that tax credit. That's what's gotten me the most excited because this is funding okay. that's not included in the tribal funding, but eligible tribes, available to tribes to help pay for clean energy technology projects. Pilar, this sounds really promising, really exciting. The new law, though, it includes about $380 billion in total climate spending. That's that's across the board, almost $400 billion, and of which there's this very small fraction, $720 million earmarked for, for native-driven climate solutions and to advance tribal energy development. Is that enough money to make a meaningful impact for more than 570 federally recognized Native nations? Well, it, it may seem like the dedicated money um, is relatively small. It's a little bit more than, um, it's not as much as, of course, in the Build Back Better, but nobody got as much as we wanted in Build Back Better, right? That was a $2 trillion uh, program, and now we're down to $400 million. So uh, as we would say, everybody took a haircut. Um, having said that, I think it's these other programs that layer, layered on with what's dedicated funding for tribes that tribes are also eligible for that really are the game changers. Mm -hmm. um, and so while the dedicated money um, could be, it should be more, would be nice to be more, um, and tribes have gotten billions more through COVID relief uh, that could also be used in this uh, to, to uh, mitigate climate resiliency, et cetera. Um, I think for purposes of this bill, for me, the exciting thing is, as I said, the tax credits. There's no limit on the tax credits. If you apply for a grant to you know anybody, pick anybody, you're going to have a limitation. These are the, the 700 million is limited. The tax credits are not. So I'm actually more excited about the tax credit opportunity and this direct pay. Uh, okay. and, the, and the ability to leverage that for for funding uh, that is well beyond the I think beyond the 700 million that would be available in direct funding. Now the tax credits, these incentives, um, you talked about how they will work for tribal nations, but what about individual Native families? Are they going to be eligible for any of these credits? Uh, perhaps electric vehicle purchases or things like that. How will it benefit folks there in the community? Yeah, great question. So the other aspect of the tax credits uh, in this bill is an expansion of the residential tax credits. Um, so in addition to uh, what has been in the past tax deductions, there's now tax credits for electrification. There's tax credits for energy efficiency. Uh, Congress, this bill expands the tax credit for rooftop solar. Um, and again, while you know, you have to have a tax liability to take advantage of the tax credit. Um, there are plenty of opportunities for tribal housing authorities to leverage their status to take advantage of these tax credits. Individual tribal members might be eligible for some of these tax credits, some of the energy efficiency. The electric vehicles are another great example, up to $7,500 in tax credit for electric vehicle purchases for new electric vehicles and a new tax credit for used electric vehicles. 
So if you can't afford the new Tesla, you can afford a, an old Tesla and get a tax credit for the for the used Tesla. Um, so not to promote Tesla, but they're about the only EV on the on the uh, on the on the street right now. Um, so that's a, that's another key opportunity. One of the other things is that that I would point out is there's a lot of emphasis in many of these tax benefits to promoting. Deployment in low-income, vulnerable, disadvantaged communities and households. And mm -hmm. so there is a huge opportunity for tribes uh, to take advantage of that emphasis for their tribal members who, who might be low-income, uh, would not normally be able to afford uh, this type of energy efficiency or even an electric vehicle. And so the emphasis around other rebates uh, and, and, uh, and promoting investment in low-income and indigenous communities. Uh, for example, there's a, a, a tax credit plus up for projects in Indian country. So, so there's huge incentive, huger incentive, I should say, to actually invest in low-income and tribal communities, uh, and that's another aspect of this that sometimes is not uh, fully discussed. We're speaking with Pilar Thomas. She's a partner in the Quarles and Brody Law Firm's Energy, Environment, and Natural Resources Practice Group. She's a law professor at Arizona State, and she just gave us a really thorough overview of the Inflation Reduction Act and what it means for tribes, for Native nations, for just regular working Native families. We're going to talk more with Pilar and several of our other guests who have some really good insights to share about this new law just passed earlier this month. Give us a call if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, 1-800-996-2848. Our producers are standing by. We're waiting for your call. So what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. We're back right after break. Under the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, an Alabama museum is starting the process of repatriating human remains and funerary objects. And a university archive in Montana is slowly letting go of objects belonging to local tribes. On the next episode of Native America Calling, we're getting updates on current repatriation efforts. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The climate provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act and their impact on tribes and Native nations. That's our focus today, and we really want to hear from you. Tell us what you like about the new law. Tell us what you don't like about it. Do you think it has the potential to address the effects of climate change on Native people or not? Call in 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest is joining us from Marietta, California. Jill Sherman Warren is the executive director for the Native American Environmental Protection Coalition and a Hoopa Tribal Council member. Jill, great to have you on the show. Hi. Hey, uh, uh, good morning, everyone. 
Jill, you work with a wide range of tribes out west. What's your assessment of the new law? Does it adequately address the needs of the Native communities you serve? Well, you know, I serve a variety of communities. And as you know, Indian country is a really important part of the rural America. And while I am absolutely um, over the top and excited that tribes are actually being discussed, um, which you know hasn't doesn't typically happen. We're always an afterthought. Um, uh, my husband likes to say we're the oh yeah nation because you know people say well what about tribes and it's like oh yeah what about tribes so <laughs> you know I am I I am super excited about the fact that there is money for tribal climate resilience for fish hatchery operations, for tribal home electrification, uh, energy loan guarantee programs, and, um, you know, emergency drought relief. Because my tribe, which is located in Northern California, we're the largest um, tribe in in the state of California, land-based tribe in the state of California. And we recently filed, had, had to, we were forced to file a complaint against the Bureau Reclamation, which you know deals with water, water, and the Secretary of Interior Deb Holland, and it really hurt us, uh, you know, to do that because Deb is is somebody who um, is from Indian Country and understands the issues, but you know, quite frankly, she's having to work in a system that over a hundred years. <laughs> has been really ruled by, you know, quite frankly, white, older um, men. And so she's in this position now. And so drought is, is an issue. We have, we are potentially facing a large fish kill with the devastation um, that done to our tribal river, the Trinity River, and um, the, the flows being redirected by the dams to the Central Valley of California. So when we when we look at this um, act and say, hey, there's some money for it, I think it's great that we're doing it. But I also think that we need to do more. And if we look at other documents that have been produced, and I, I kind of laughed and I said, well, apparently nobody read the um, document called A Quiet Crisis that was produced by the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and was actually provided to Congress. Um, and in 2003 was when that was first written. It's also kind of known as the Broken Promises uh, Report. And it was recently updated in 2018. And the need for infrastructure is, is so huge. So I think that, um, you know, we, we, we see that there is money for tribal home electrification. But the need for tribal homes in Indian country itself is about $33 billion. So, and that is an according to a report that was produced by the National Congress of American Indians. So when we, when we try to marry those two things, we can see there's kind of a disconnect because the flip side is, are tribal, are, do we have um, sufficient housing stock in Indian country that will actually allow for electrification uh, or solar, you know, solar electrification of tribal homes? Because then you have to look at, is the home even safe enough? Is the roof? safe enough to um, hold 
you know, uh, solar panels. So okay. it gets into a lot of a lot of uh, quagmires. And, you know, I think one of the reasons tribes are often forgotten is because there are, and I'm including hi, uh, Hawaii in this because the Hawaiian natives, which this bill actually speaks to, um, aren't technically federally recognized tribes. And when we look at our senators, who uh, we have about 16 of them that technically don't have tribes within their state. So, so when you have 16 states that don't have federally recognized tribes within the states, we're already starting from ground zero because that means about 30 senators have no idea what tribal needs are and have have never even maybe met a tribal person in their okay. lifetime. Okay, and, Jill, and I'm sorry. So you you mentioned. Um, Okay, it's great to have these solar credits and things like that, but if our houses, we don't have enough homes, our houses aren't adequately built and, and they're not capable of supporting these projects, like what's the point, right? And I also want to ask you about uh, EVs, electrical vehicles, and these credits that are available. In, in tribal communities, are, are, are we seeing people embracing electric vehicles or is the infrastructure there to support EVs? Well, I sit on the California Clean Vehicle Advisory Board, and um, it's interesting because for the last two years, I've been working on, Cal I think this is modeled after California's efforts, um, and California has had a pretty robust uh, financial program. If you are low income, and you are eligible from the state to get up to $5,000 to purchase a new or used electric vehicle. And we've been trying to roll these programs out into Indian country. And um, it's been very difficult. For example, uh, charging stations uh, that my tribe got a grant to build eight charging stations. Those charging stations have been sitting unelectrified for the last year and a half because the, the energy, the, the utility lines, the, electrical lines are need to be upgraded um, in order for the electrification of the charging stations. And so that's not unique to rural areas. And even in some low income or uh, communities within the urban environment, and, and, you know, we're not even touching on the needs of uh, urban uh, tribal people. So we have um, electric vehicles, but yet then we have an unstable um, electrical utility system that needs to be upgraded. And often rural communities, especially in California, I can speak to that, uh, California uh, rural tribal communities are often shut off from electricity because of wildfire events. So the overall electrical system, I think it would be easy to say that of the United States in general is extremely dilapidated and needs to have major upgrades to it in order for these electrification um, programs to actually benefit tribes. Jill, thanks for that overview. We're going to go ahead and go to the phones now. We've got Shannon Brown listening on KIPI in South Dakota. Shannon, thanks for calling us today. Hello. Very interesting topic on the Inflation Reduction Act. My question uh, that I'm inquiring about is, uh, is there funding to support uh, new biorefinery technology because the current, some of the current funding announcements that came out today are, are looking at retrofitting existing biorefineries and, and, they, and they predominantly already pollute. So, and the new technologies that are coming out, they don't pollute like they do, like, like the ones currently in, in existence, especially in Indian country. And uh, there's, there's great potential for it. 
for those Shannon, to be built. Shannon, thanks for that call. New refinery technology as opposed to, to older refineries. And I'm going to ask children to respond to that. But 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 that is a, a really good question because, um, you know, like this this law, I mean, it does subsidize the building of new pipelines. It guarantees new leasing of oil and gas drilling. So we really want to do think about our existing uh, energy infrastructure and how that's addressed in this new law. Jill, what's your response to that? Um, Shannon's question about new refinery technology. Thinking about biochar, like what type of biorefinery is he talking about? Shannon, are you still on the line? Oh, we lost Shannon there. I think he was just talking about like fossil fuel, some of these refineries for oil as opposed to just taking older refineries that are already damaged or already not energy efficient or not eco-friendly, I should say. That's, that's the better term. They're, they're already not eco-friendly um, refineries rather than just replacing those with new refineries, which is what he's looking for. He's hoping that there's going to be technology to invest in new refineries that are more eco-friendly as opposed to just keeping the existing refineries that are online now believe that there's money in that Pilar might be able to speak to to that um, I think in general I know with California um, bio refineries or you know petroleum refineries they're not looking nobody wants those in their backyard they're almost as as friendly as having a landfill in your backyard and so I think that's one of the problems is communities don't want those programs in their backyard so the only thing to do is update existing facilities I, I could I could be completely wrong, but okay. you know, I know that in terms of biochar, that there is a lot of money uh, grants that are out there for expansion of wood products and you know dealing with horse management. And I know this this uh, program also has some some effort in uh, forest forest man management as well. Okay, let's go back to Pilar. Pilar, can you field that question earlier from our caller regarding new refinery technology? Yeah, I, I, you know, I would have to, um, the short answer is I'm not sure. I think it depends on what the refinery is for. So if it's, if it is for um, actually refining to produce, um, say, a biogas, uh, then uh, I don't know. If it's a biogas system that's being used to produce energy, such as electricity, so a waste-to-energy project, a, a landfill gas project, then the answer is yes. The tax credits that I spoke about, the investment tax credit and the production tax credit are available to biomass-based electricity generation systems. So if you're using, um, again, biomass, it could be waste-to-energy, it could be landfill gas, and you're creating nat synthetic natural gas, anaerobic digestion, you're, con you're generating synthetic natural gas from that and using that to power a turbine to create electricity, then yes, that is covered by the tax credits, both in the investment tax credit and production tax credit. Uh, but if the issue is, you know, the refinery itself that is creating the biogas in the first place. Um, I don't think it's covered by here, but I can't answer that for sure. I've been focused mostly on the generation side of the tax credits uh, than, say, the refinery side. Okay. Let's bring another guest in now. Brett Isaac is speaking with us from Flagstaff, Arizona. He's the executive chairman at Navajo Power, and he is Diné. Brett, welcome back to the show. Um, good morning. 
Yate, Brett. Yeah, absolutely. And tell us more, how will Navajo Power benefit from the Inflation Reduction Act? Well, we're a clean energy developer focused on developing projects on tribal lands that benefit Native communities, you know, and one of the things that we're excited about is, is what Ms. Ms. Thomas covered in terms of ex- expanding the ability of the ITC to be applicable for tribal, you know, nations. I, I think one of the um, purposes that we created Navajo Power was to give tribes a position, even though we're private developers, one thing that's always been a little out of reach is ownership of projects. I think there's always been, you know, the competitiveness of the ITC, which is available to taxable entities, always made it, you know, non-competitive for, you know, tribes to own projects in terms of how they were financed. I think the the, the this um, attention to being able to expand and, and make it equal across the board brings a sense of competitiveness for nations and developers like us who are focusing on positioning tribes to benefit in multiple revenue streams from these large development projects and and, and small development projects as well. Um, And I think the other side of it is also making sure that, you know, we um, focus on the execution. You know, I I mean, there have been a lot of programs created in the past, and I think this one pays particular attention to what we've been saying, which is there are a lot of programs created that, you know, don't have optimum deployment. I think um, from the private sector, we've always been looking for opportunities like this that that combine a public-private partnership that could optimize the competitiveness of projects. Because on tribal lands, we're not just competing you know, for projects within tribes, you know, we're also competing against off-nation projects for RFPs and for different, you know, potential offtake to to participate in energy markets. And I believe this opens up the competitiveness for tribal nations and, in fact, even optimizes competitiveness in some cases that we could be leading um, some of these uh, energy resource needs over the next decade. Well, Brett, uh, regarding increasing competitiveness, um, what types of subsidies are you expecting for Navajo Power to come from the Inflation Reduction Act? Well, I think for us, what it is is positioning tribes to be able to own portions of these projects. You know, I think one of the buy-in principles that we believe in is that tribes need to benefit in more than one way than another. Usually, it's typically with leases and taxes, but ownership of the project is again have been always been a little out of reach the um the ability for the itc to expand and the and and this idea of solar production tax credit allows for tribes to take advantage of what's always been a tax equity gap which is that you know um entities with large balance sheets that have the taxable burden have always been able to underprice or or at least make their their projects more competitive due to the tribal the lack of tribal access um which increases the cost of the energy you know to to be sold this this will allow communities and tribes to be able to market their product at more competitive rates as well as even if they're you know using it for internal use bring down the cost of energy mm-hmm. so i think that's one of the elements that we're we're excited about now, Brett, I, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, some environmentalists are, are not happy over the fact that 
the build or the, the law now subsidizes new pipelines, these new leases for oil and gas drilling, and, and they're at Navajo Power, you folks are renewable energy. What's your thought on that, that it's still going to invest in fossil fuels? I mean, one of the things is that we're never going to get this thing perfect until we're competitive. You know, I think um, the challenge is on us to get out ahead. You know, 10 years ago, we were considered very expensive when it came to renewables. Now we're half the cost of a lot of, you know, energy during the day, during when the sun shines and the wind's blowing. It's always been a challenge to overcome the adversity of trying to compete with other technologies. I think as that increases and as tribal nations become more savvy, it's only beneficial to us to be able to exercise our innovation. You know, we've always been able to endure. We've always been able to be resilient when it comes to adversity. And I think using those principles is going to be something we take tools and mechanisms like this act to be able to empower our communities to challenge ourselves to be better, to do things a little bit more efficiently, to, to, to showcase what Indigenous people can do when they're empowered. Folks, we're going to have to take a break here, but if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, if you've got any insights to add to our discussion today about the Inflation Reduction Act, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There's a new IRA in Native America, folks. Nope, we're not talking about the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934, thankfully, or the Indian Relocation Act of 1956. Not those IRAs. Instead, we're talking about the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 and its effects on tribes. Ask a question or share your thoughts. 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And we've got a caller on the line right now, and he is a familiar voice. Shell, listening on KISU in Fort Hall, Idaho. Shell, thanks for calling us today. Appreciate you all much, Sean. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Shell. Yeah, one thing about is uh, Mother Earth is sick right now. You know, she's going through her early symptoms of, of you know, whatever, you know, like if you get the flu, you know, you start getting jittery and then, you know, then you get kind of restless. And, and in a way, you know, that's what that's what she's going through, and we ask her for things like, "Hey, mom, can I have some money to get some ice cream or something?" And she's kind of in and out, you know. And that's you know how it is, you know. Right now, I believe, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's my comment. Shell, yeah, thank you for calling in, and I really like that analogy you share, asking. Uh, mother for for some ice cream, except she's sick. And I I, want to talk about that. And uh, Brett, I want to ask you this question because one criticism, I'm going to expand on what Shell commented on. There's a a heavy criticism of the the Inflation Reduction Act that it focuses primarily on addressing current environmental damage associated with climate change. 
as opposed to prevention and addressing the underlying factors that lead to causing climate change. And, and that really begs the question I want to ask you, Brett, how will any of this work if we don't collectively really look at changing our behaviors and look at legislation that's going to address those behavioral changes, similar to what Shell alluded to? And Brett, since you work at Navajo Power and you folks are all about renewable energy, I think, I think it'd be only appropriate for you to respond. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good point. I mean, the, the idea that consumption can be resolved by adding more <laughs> in, into the mix is, is, is a bit um, off. I, I think one of the things we've kind of been, you know, focused on is building the bridge to where we got to get to requires some degree of movement today, like a strategy. Um, and some of us, you know, have to figure that out today, you know, so that future generations may have the um, um, the opportunity, you know, to get to those places. I think one of the things we have to do essentially is get our communities and re be regenerative and restorative, you know, um, as to what we are. We're still recovering from a lot of trauma. We're still recovering from a lot of impacts of former energy systems and former, you know, impacts in our communities. And I think part of like what we've been thinking about is like we got we got to be able to just be able to be comfortable in existence today in order for us to really, really think about how we want to move forward for the future. Some of that means building some stability. And I don't think we'll get there, you know, immediately. It's it's like a diet, you know, it, 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 it's easy to get off of it, but it's very hard to stay disciplined on. Mm. And I think one of the things we want to focus on is being able to make positive movements, even if they're just an inch, you know, the, um, I always say like the little footprints behind us are going to be the ones that solve the bigger problems, but we got to give them enough of an opportunity, enough daylight so that they have that ability and the capacity and the empowerment to be able to make those meaningful changes. We just have to hold enough of the line to bring back some of those disciplines that we previously had, some of those, you know, um, uh, I guess instinctive knowledges that we knew that were regenerative for our communities and restorative to our communities. That way we can use what's existing in our toolbox today, whether it be technologies of renewable energy or, you know, um, you know, just modern healings that we can be able to, again, get ourselves to the sense of stability so that the future generations have a chance of, of, of making that utopian, you know, idea come to light. Thanks, Brett. Let's go ahead and bring a fourth voice into our conversation now, speaking with us from Tulsa, Oklahoma is Jordan Harmon. She's a political analyst, policy analyst, excuse me, and legislative advocate for the Indigenous Environmental Network. She is Muskogee Creek. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Well, Jordan, I know you've been tracking this bill very closely, and now that it's a law, what's your assessment? Sure. Um, so, I am coming into this conversation with quite a different perspective um, and voice. And I hate to be the one that bursts the bubble of all of the excitement around this bill, um, but the Indigenous Environmental Network, we came out in opposition to this bill right away after a read-through of it and an analysis um, 
of what it does. And so I will say that PLAR and others have done an excellent job of breaking down um, the details of the available funding um, and what kind of things that tribes and individuals can take advantage of there. And I think that that can be a good thing. I think that tribes and individuals who want to take advantage of those monies should do that. And that's true for pretty much anything that the federal government does. However, I want to take a step back and look at the entire impact of the bill as a whole. And this Inflation Reduction Act, this was sort of a brokered agreement between two conservative members of the Democratic Party in Congress. And what went on there is that environmental justice communities and Democratic Party leadership, for that matter, were excluded from the conversations, and this bill was dropped on everybody days before it was to be marked up and considered for a vote um, and required us to just do sort of this 24-7 analysis of what is this going to mean for us because we didn't know. And we see now that this bill is very much, which has been said in different kinds of words already, very much an investment in sort of climate mitigation strategies in addition to false climate solutions, in addition to just a wholesale investment into the continued development of fossil fuels. I don't think this bill can be called a climate bill. I don't think it should be celebrated as a climate bill. The overall impacts of this bill at best will pretty much do nothing to <laughs> reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, this is due to the investments made in the bill. So um, okay. we, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's, I appreciate all your comments, Jordan. So I, I want to ask you specifically, I mean, I mean, what's lacking in, in terms of addressing climate change that, that you're not seeing in the, in the law as it stands now? So number one is the continued investment and development of fossil fuels. Um, Gulf Coast communities and Alaska communities have been, run roughshod over, completely thrown under the bus for this bill. Um, I mean, they are, their waters are being polluted, their communities are being polluted, they're dying as a result of these projects. And so we've now locked ourselves into, at a minimum, a decade of continued leasing, required mandated leasing, not even discretionary, okay? And in addition to that, I would say what the bill does have that has been described as an investment in the clean energy option these clean energy options, they have categorized our false harmful solutions by and large. Not solar, not wind, but hydrogen, nuclear, biofuels, and carbon tax scheme and carbon offset schemes. Those are false solutions that do not benefit climate change. They do not benefit environmental justice communities, and they actually take advantage by and large of fossil fuels infrastructure already there which we know which communities are already at risk and are already in proximity to the fossil fuels infrastructure. Um, clean hydrogen is a great example of something that they're, they're claiming is a clean energy opportunity, but really it's harmful to these frontline communities. Hydrogen is still a toxic pollutant. It still has to be stored. It still has to be transported through pipelines. The development of it is still causing pollution and harm to the planet and to these communities. And I'm really worried about 
the investments in this bill and people taking advantage of these. And I'm worried about people going to tribes and selling these false solutions as great opportunities. Um, taking the carbon offsets, for example. This is a scheme where fossil fuels and energy industries categorize a forest that is in existence and how much carbon that that forest actually um, would produce if deforested. And they can purchase that from communities and they can apply that to what they claim is their net zero emissions. So they can essentially purchase carbon that is theoretically being offsetted by a forest that is in existence. They don't deforest that service and they can continue emitting greenhouse gases, but they can apply this hypothetical reduction in greenhouse gases and claim that they now have a net zero emission. These are very predatory schemes. They take advantage of the complexity um, of these issues and they sell them to communities like tribes as um, clean energy opportunities. And the, this bill is just rife with it. I mean, that is really the purpose of this bill. And climate scientists, by and large, agree that the only way to stop the greenhouse gas emissions, the only way to stop the um, climate harm is to end it at its source, stop fossil fuels development. Um, that's a hardline position. Um, it's not something that you can inch your way towards. Um, so I would, I would really just urge people to definitely look into the monies that are available here. Um, and I would give this advice when you're dealing with the federal government on any level for anything they do. Take advantage of what's there, but be cognizant and educated of the trickery that's involved there. Um, it's very much how they operate, and the Inflation Reduction Act is no different, in my opinion. Jordan, thank you so much for all those insights. Really, really helpful. I, I really appreciate everything that you're adding to the conversation and really getting us to think more critically about what this law means and how it's going to impact tribes. Uh, great overview. We've got another caller on the line, Jen, listening in East Texas. Jen, hello. Hi, thank you so much. And that was very interesting what she had to say. And I, I have a question for you because I'm very excited about this bill and, of course, solar power and EV autos. But my question is, similarly to what she was, uh, what her work, what she does in her work, about the batteries. Where is the lithium coming from? Will there be mountaintops removed? And how long will our batteries last? And then what happens to the battery once they're done for? My question is, is there money set aside for landfills to hold them? And will, where will these landfills be set up? So okay. are we really going here? <laughs> Thank okay. you. All right. So Jen has a question about lithium batteries and where do they come from and how are they sourced? And my understanding is that most lithium comes from uh, the Republic of the Congo in Africa. I don't know a lot about it, and I'm not sure uh, any of our guests want to step up and field this one regarding lithium batteries. Anybody? Uh, this is Brett. This is okay, Brett. Brett appreciate you. Appreciate you saving yeah, the day here. Yeah. Well, currently there are, you know, there is an extractive process that is rather... Um, you know, very similar to, to, to mining operations uh, as, as they stand today. But you look at areas like um, 
what they're calling Lithium Valley near the Salton Sea in Southern California. And they're looking at different ways of extracting lithium from geothermal brine. These are newer technologies, and of course, they're investing to try to find ways to do them better domestically. I think like that is the conversation to be had is like no matter what the technology is, what is the uh, you know the, the outcome at the end. Um, right now, I, I would say like really the, the, the recycling and, and the repurposing is still a difficult question to have because it still isn't optimum and it still isn't something that they're, they're really looking into. But I think federal investment is probably going to be the way that they have to resolve, you know, the, the, the cleaning up of any type of technology, including lithium. Okay, okay. I want to go back to Jordan. And, um, you know, one thing I, I really want to talk about, we only had another minute or so before we had to wrap up the show, but I'm curious to know whether or not the law will actually live up to its name by lowering inflation. And I, I see economists are divided on this. And Jordan, this might be a little out of your wheel well, but, but what do you think? Because many Native families, they're feeling the squeeze from soaring energy and food costs. Um, yeah, that is true that um, analyzing sort of the effect of inflation is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Um, but I'll just say this from a broad perspective that um, I would be cautious with anything that the federal government does that claims to benefit individual Indian families. I think you just have to take a cursory historical look all the way up until recent history to understand that. Um, it's not always as it seems. And on the climate side, this bill clearly will not live up to its climate promises. And I would go so far as to say that's probably true for the other provisions as well. Well, I really appreciate everybody that joined our show today, as well as our callers. A uh, really riveting discussion on the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Uh, really interesting stuff. It's a slimmed-down version of the Build Back Better bill, which aimed to make historic investments in the nation's social safety net. And this new bill, in addition to providing some of these solutions, hopefully for Indian country, it will also invest in combating climate change throughout the United States, lower the cost of prescription drugs, and raise taxes on corporations. We've reached the end of the hour. Once again, let me thank our guests, Pilar Thomas, Jordan Harmon, Brett Isaac, and Jill Sherman-Warren for a very enlightening conversation and the provisions for supporting tribes and Native communities through the Inflation Reduction Act. Join us on Native America Calling again tomorrow. We'll get the latest updates on NAGPRA repatriation efforts. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Program support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation, a Native-led foundation supporting Native-led initiatives, protecting the lands, waters, and cultures of the plateau for generations to come. The Colorado Plateau Foundation helps to build networks, community, and organizational capacity the Colorado Plateau Foundation is accepting grant proposals through September 1st. Eligibility information is available at coloradoplateaufoundation.org.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.